Politician, thy name is hypocrisy. Bob Ketter, in a speech in November 2019, talked about something he'd done years ago. He'd gone into the National Party room where everyone spoke against dairy market deregulation. But when they came back into the chamber, they all voted for it. This is not the only example of duplicity by politicians. Too many of them today operate on the principle that the ordinary Australian must do as they say and not as they do. The worst example is that while they insist that emissions be severely reduced, even if businesses close, jobs disappear and electricity is unreliable and unaffordable, politicians have the biggest carbon or CO2 footprints, many times that of ordinary Australians. Surely, if they believe that carbon dioxide emissions are so dangerous, they should rarely fly and they should always fly in economy. The fact is, politicians have no shame. Take those on the Sydney City Council. They've declared a climate emergency. But their carbon emissions, their CO2 emissions, for their travel this year increased by 40%. The Lord Mayor, Clover Moore, went to a Women for Climate Change conference in where else but Paris. And now, with parliaments closing down all over the country for summer, politicians are filling the luxury classes on flights to air-conditioned tourist palaces across the world. This arrogance is yet another example of the contempt the elites have for ordinary Australians. Their greatest contempt is reserved for the farmers, who are constantly persecuted by the environmental secret police. Just take Johnny Williams. They took his herd of cattle in Dub and sold them off in Dubbo, and that during the drought. Or Dan MacDonald fined $112,000 just for feeding his starving cattle with his own mulga. All these are examples of what can only be a campaign to get rid of farming families. To the elites, judging public policy through Alan Jones' famous pub test, which really just means common sense, is dismissed. They say uh, you're relying really on the opinions of the uninformed, of simpletons. That's why they control the parties, where pre-selection is based more often than not on loyalty to a power broker rather than choosing somebody on the basis of merit. This has given us so much the NBN, the ban on nuclear energy, no building of any big dams, no water harvesting, the massive accumulation of bushfire fuel in the national parks.
and they've left us defenseless. They're destroying manufacturing, fishing, and it seems agriculture, and they're condemning the next generation to increasingly inferior education compared with countries significantly poorer than us. Some of our standards are even lower than those of Kazakhstan. As Bob Cat has demonstrated, by reference to the ruin of our agriculture through the obsessive application of free trade and deregulatory policies, it's worse in Australia than probably in any comparable country. If you want to see a party which is unlike our Australian parties, open, transparent and democratic, look no further than the American Republicans. It's one of the few parties in the world which could have allowed a leader of the rare qualities of Donald Trump to emerge and to do exactly what he promised to make America great again. Contrast that with the way in which the elites not only brought down Tony Abbott, but they removed him from Parliament because they were, they were afraid he would come back. He would come back as leader. Now, to understand the enormity of what Bob Catter is railing against, you have to go back to what Paul Kelly calls the Australian Settlement. This is the formula we adopted at Federation to build the nation. First, there was to be a living wage, that is, a wage enough to support a man, his wife and three children. There were to be old age pensions. And all this was to be maintained through protectionism, tariffs. It was also shamelessly secured against the fear of low-wage immigrant competition by the White Australia policy. Well, the White Australia policy was ended under Harold Holt, but most of the dismantling of the Australian settlement, that is the protection of the workers, began under Labour, under Gough Whitlam, and it was completed by the Labour governments of Bob Hawke and Paul Keating. This was a strange policy to apply universally without any common sense. A series of useful and occasional economic tools, turning them into absolute dogmas, in particular free trade, privatization and deregulation. Only later did they add the increasingly discredited theory of global warming. Curiously, most of the avid proponents for all this started out as socialists. The first manifestation of this approach was by Whitlam. He ordered a unilateral 25% across-the-board cut in tariffs, a very surprising decision for a Labour government put there to protect the workers in manufacturing. And as they closed down the building of dams and water harvesting and the nuclear industry, the Hawke and Keating governments made this a key policy. So Australia foolishly stripped herself naked 
for trade negotiations, especially for what to were to be called free trade agreements. In these, you're forced to offer reciprocal concessions. But if you've already given away everything, what have you got to offer? So we started offering concessions in immigration and foreign investment. Now that foreign investment is not really opening new jobs, opening new plants and the like, not normally. It usually involves no more than taking over homegrown successful businesses or granting title in perpetuity to rich agricultural land often bought in a drought for a song. And too often the purchaser is not some ordinary business, but an entity under the ultimate direction and control of an alien and potentially hostile Communist Party. The justification for this unilateralism was rather simplistic. Whitlam and Hawke and Keating said that'll allow us to concentrate on what we do best, agriculture. This completely ignored the fact that neither Europe, nor Japan, nor America ever gives up protecting their farmers from our competition. There was a second delusion which they're still using. That is, if we unilaterally abandon protection, we'd gain credit from and we'd be followed by other countries. This is extraordinarily naive. The same argument has been used in changing to a republic. We were told other countries would admire and understand us. And more recently, we're being told that by massively increasing the price of electricity, ruining businesses and making electricity too expensive for the poor, other countries will follow us. This, of course, is complete rubbish. The Hawke government had another delusion. That was that by abandoning protecting our manufacturing industry and sending manufacturing off to Asia, that would be the price for Asians to buy our mineral exports. How naive. In actual fact, our minerals are bought for two reasons. They're bought for two reasons only. Our price and our quality. That's why they buy our coal. That's why they buy our gas. Not because they like us. They're just acting sensibly and in their interests, as our governments should. Now, having strangled manufacturing, fishing, we're net importers of fish, notwithstanding our enormous coastline, and now agriculture, the political elites who dominate the two parties are preparing to obey the warmest instructions for the next phase in the destruction of Australia, closing down mining. If Australia is to be saved, it's time surely to make the coming decade the twilight of the elites. Give us back our country.